around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. We did it. You know, when the season first started, you and I thought we might be somewhere far away during this episode. There was a moment of panic. We were like, are we going to be able to record the finale? (laughs) Glad we're doing it. I am too. This is the episode that we got to see some orchestration happening for. Yeah. Uh, And I was worried when they told us, oh yeah, they're recording the, the score for episode 14. You guys want to come check it out? I was a little worried that we weren't going to, that all the uh, fun and surprises of the episode would be spoilt. Mm-hmm. I'm not as afraid of spoilers as uh, as the internet seems to be. Did you feel like it was spoiled? I didn't. I think that like the the shots that we saw them scoring were, you know, they were vague enough about what was going on that, you know, you could tell some like some space combat was going to go down, but I think we could have predicted that five episodes ago. I think one takeaway for me was that was how much time was spent on each individual scene. And for as much time as we spent in the scoring booth, I think we only really saw two scenes from this episode in totality for the number of hours we were there. So now I'm with you. I didn't feel like much was spoiled, though we did get to see a bunch of the Enterprise bridge at that point. And that was a real thrill. Yeah, that was uh, that was, I, I guess, the one the one thing that we knew would be a major element of this episode yeah. before we actually watched it. Right. Pretty wild episode. I feel like there's a lot to talk about. Do we, I I don't know. I didn't have anything prepared Marin-wise. Do you want to just get right into it? Yeah, I really do just want to start, Ben. I'm, I'm excited to do it. Let's get into Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 14. It's the season finale of Season 2. It's called Such Sweet Sorrow Part they didn't tell us that such sweet sorrow was a part one i know it's a real bait and switch (laughs) i know i feel like unless you're getting some dun dun duns and some on-screen titles uh you may not know what you're watching but sure enough in the app it tells you part two my app also told me ben that i was watching this episode in 4k which is something that I don't recall having the ability to do. I don't know if this was a a season finale effect or if I'd been watching it in 4K the whole time or if maybe they just started putting it out in 4K, but I didn't think we were going to get it in this country at more than HD resolution. What device do you have the app on? Uh, I was watching it on my Apple TV. Oh. Using the CBS All Access app. Shit. I don't have one of those. I'll actually have three of them, but they're for something else. Uh (laughs) But uh, I've been watching on PlayStation, and I did not watch it in 4K. And this is an episode that really suffers from the low bitrate HD that the CBS All Access app gives you on PlayStation. There are a lot of fiddly little objects on screen swarming around, and it really grinds on the uh, algorithms that compress video. 
Oh, Ben, we had a very different experience watching this episode then. Yeah, it it was fucking trash from my perspective. Whoa. Wow. You know, I I was at the uh I went to the Twilight Zone premiere with our buddy Ben Fritz, uh yeah. who got you into the Discovery season 1 premiere. He's a great date for a premiere. Yeah, and uh one of the things we were talking about is how when you load up the CBS All Access app, the first thing you see is the CBS logo, and it's really low res. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, what a bozo move that is to have- It's oh, hilariously yeah, bad. We'll have our brand be badly buffered. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just sets a tone. And, uh, right. And I've been, I've been angry about it ever since I made that observation. If they need buffer time- to catch the show up to the proper resolution, they should start with a preview to another show or some shit. Like, throw it away. Oh, they did that on this episode also for me. Yeah, I did get that for the first time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyways, uh, we start this episode right where the last episode left off. The sky is filling with angry Section 31 ships. It's basically a, a ticking clock episode. Get Burnham into the suit and through the wormhole is the name of the game. We have one job. You know, if they had only spent a little less time kissing and saying goodbye in the last episode, they would have had more time to build the suit. (laughs) Because holy shit, they are rushing through this. It's like 20 people putting an Ikea bookshelf together (laughs) at the same time. They are working hard for that slice of pizza at the end. (laughs) Stamets' look at me condescension during that scene on the one hand is like bracingly awful but on the other hand like totally effective he's he's like trying to get someone's attention who's in a total panic i will deal with the hr complaints later right now we need to get burnham into this suit we are practically spinning the camera on a tripod here because things are very stressful yeah and those spins are really fun they kind of use them as a device to get between ships Mm-hmm. Like they'll they'll spin and there's Saru spin oh oh spin number one spin Pike, yeah you know and that's and and you jumped to a different bridge in in the span of a spin yeah you can really hide your cut in the blur of the spin yeah I directed a music video once that used a technique like this because I had like a whole bunch of different settings with the same wrapper and I would spin the camera in between lines and when when I went to the edit. I thought, I, oh, I'll do like a little, a little dissolve in between clip A and clip B to mm-hmm. to hide it in the spin, and I found that it was a lot more visible if I did a dissolve than just like a hard cut in between them. Like the yeah. spin, just it totally, you can do a hard cut and it'll hide everything. I've seen it all. A really tense sequence. It's it looks like an evener fight than they deserve at the beginning. Because they've got the fleet of modified uh, shuttles and worker bees and probes. Um, it seems like these two ships must be like 90% shuttle bay, given how many shuttles they had to, to deploy here. Yeah, the, the shots of the ship's rears as they're just shooting out uh, shuttle diarrhea yeah. is, is amazing. It's like the uh, dumps I took the day after i got back from senegal just you know all of those all of those saved up travel poops coming out all at once 
It's crazy that there's only one life sign on the Section 31 ships, and it's just Contrelin. Like, does that mean that there's just a shitload of frozen bodies out there somewhere? Yeah, that's kind of what I was picturing. They they all vented into space. Wow. Pretty rugged. (laughs) You know, they just breeze right past that. I kind of feel like that's a bad strategy, and we're going to get into this later, like the Contrelin strategy as a bad guy. Yeah. But I think when you make yourself as the bad guy the only target... I, I think that's bad. Like, I don't think that's a good strat at all. He I think he should have kept some people alive to to make the Disco and Enterprise crews question whether to fire on their own people, for example. Like, if he's using human shields on these ships, that would have added some tasty spice. Ooh, I like that idea. Yeah, and it kind of goes contrary to the thing that Control was arguing for uh, a few episodes ago. There was kind of some villain monologuing from... Contreland about the idea that like in a bureauc- in a bureaucracy that has like a, a hierarchy of command like Starfleet like orders go out and and are followed unquestioningly and control could just like sit on top of that and secretly be running everything without anyone's knowledge right and I feel like you could have had 30 ships full of ride or die bought in Section 31 officers who think that the Enterprise and the Discovery are an existential threat to the Federation in some way. Yeah. So they would be both human shields and also a threat in and of themselves. I can understand why that's not possible as a story to tell here, just because there was they already suffered from story bloat uh, in episode 13. Like, the idea that they needed this episode to stretch... Right. means there's no room for a sea story, unfortunately. Yeah. There's some real shit-talking in this episode, more than I think we've ever gotten before toward Contreland. Yeah. And it's weird because of the stakes, right? Like, like who is the favorite and who's the underdog at this fight? It seems like an even match at the beginning, and then he kind of drops the bomb that his ships are actually, like, coral reefs, an assembly <laughs> yeah. of smaller ships. Yeah, uh, the the reveal of the micro-machines yeah. is a big gulp moment. That reveal of the micro-machines is, is like the first thing we saw them scoring that... Uh, yeah. And it was, just, it was like the animatic that they were scoring it to. Like they had not rendered it all out yet. So, we, you know, we, what we saw was just a bunch of kind of gray triangles flying yeah. apart on screen. It didn't really look like anything. But it was still very intense because of the score we were hearing. Yeah, totally. Like, I you sh- really get a sense of how much work the, the music does in a scene like that. I was shitting myself. This area around the ships has turned into basically a mist of <laughs> tiny ships before the battle begins. It has. It, it has indeed. And, and among the elements of that mist, we discover Poe, who has uh, taken it upon herself to become... Anakin Skywalker from Star Wars Episode One. She's commandeered a shuttlecraft, claimed diplomatic immunity for the crime of that, and is now uh, kind of leading the charge on on the uh, Section Thirty One mini ships. She's analyzed them tactically and and has a has a plan for how to how to take them out. I was confused by this revelation because the interior of her shuttle looks like it's filled with canisters in a way that the other shuttles haven't been. And I thought she was going to be on a super secret mission that we would find out about later where 
I don't know, she would uh, kamikaze herself into right. a ship or, or, or something else would happen, but she's out there just doing science. Right, I happened to load this up with kerosene before I left. Yeah, her intel for Pike in this moment is you can't just take these down one-on-one. You need to gang up on them with, with two two shuttles and two targets in order to destroy these drones. Right. Which seems a little preposterous. I, I mean, I, I bet the big ships could take these out with just a, a phaser fire, but maybe the little ships, it's good to hit them from two sides at once. I don't know. If your little ship only has one turret and it's shooting one piece of ammunition at a time, maybe that's yeah. effective strategy. It seems like also a lot of these things are just kind of suicide drones, right? Like there's there's a lot of them just kind of like flying right into into the ships and they've they've definitely focused a lot of what they're doing on the disco because the disco is what Contrilan needs to get to drop its its shields. This is the beginning of I want to say like a 40 minute space battle scene in the middle of this episode. And I think it might be the part where you and I start to diverge on how we feel uh, it was done. From my perspective, I thought the sound design was incredible. Like all of the all of the distant explosions and the number of them, this was a very like battle of the binary stars space battle, but much, much bigger. Yeah. I thought it looked great and it sounded great. I, I agree on the sound. I think that you would never have attempted this a battle that looked this way 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Even yeah. with HD, it's not going to look great on every every television and I think that you know, like there there was a golden age of like television engineering where the kind of capabilities of like like the the baseline capabilities of TV sets were something that everybody was thinking about when they made a TV show and Right. Like, for better or for worse, with the proliferation of digital means of of, uh, of watching this show, and despite the fact that it's either on Netflix or on CBS's own app, like, they seem to be in less control of how, of how that's delivered. And right. And all these little bits flying around just uh, overwhelmed the, uh, the compression algorithm at HD. Man, it's... It's too bad that there's going to be such a difference in in how these scenes hit for people, depending on how they're able to watch it. I feel really fortunate I was able to see it in 4K. Well, there's a lot going wrong in my life right now, so it's fine that just one more, <laughs> throw one more log on the fire. That's what I say. On the Discovery, there is a real hospital emergency roomification of stress happening there. Yeah. And this underscores something that we didn't see. This happened totally off screen. And that is they have reboarded the Discovery full of its crew. Like it's not just the senior staff that was going to get back on board to take this trip. No, they were telling her, they were telling Michael Burnham on behalf of their entire yeah. uh, staffs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like every- I wonder if if most of these people knew what they were signing up for when they when they recrossed the evacuation <laughs> bridge to get back on disco. Yeah, it's like one of those uh, one of those like all staff emails that your boss sends out, and you're like, you know, they're saying like we're united in doing this, and you're just sitting there at your at your desk, you know, yeah. reading it in Microsoft Outlook, going like, fuck, really. <laughs> 
One of the classic emergency room scenes is like the wheeling of a gurney through a hallway. And that's what we get when uh, when Jet Reno and gang are wheeling the the time suit through the hallway to get it to the shuttle bay. Yeah, it's really funny because it really it's because it's lying down and like and appears to be full. It really yeah. just looks like a, a person is lying on that gurney, but it's just it's a spacesuit. It's an empty right. spacesuit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we've flown around on the in the kind of guts of the ship a couple of times in this season. It's it's much emptier and bigger inside than has ever been uh, evident before in a starship, and uh, and the and the folly of that as a design technique becomes clear in this scene because some garbage falls from like thirty decks up and comes right through the uh, the sunroof in the uh, in the hallway there and. Uh, and blasts everybody, and Spock and Michael Burnham are dazed. Unfortunately, Paul Stamets gets it pretty bad. What's the kind of hotel that has the elevators inside? And like, the, is that a courtyard by Marriott? Is that the, oh. the kind of thing that it is? Yeah, Th- that's like how these turbo lifts work inside the disco. Like these these turbo lifts are running around, and then when they break and shit flies off, they like go through the glass. Right, and that's what hits Stamets. Yeah. He gets fucked up pretty bad, but uh, not before clipping the last piece of componentry onto the suit. This is a weird scene because Jet Reno is like, I'm going to stay behind and clean up the mess so no (laughs) one gets hurt. Like, Jet, I think you might be needed in the shuttle bay for like the final tweaks before liftoff. We don't need you with a dustpan and a broom at this point. They didn't want anybody standing in between Spock and Michael Burnham just shouting withering quips while they have their super sincere heart to heart. (laughs) Yeah. Disco doesn't have a floor cone in that area of the ship. Speaking of emergency rooms, like right after this, we actually see Six Bay and Dr. Pollard is like running around crazy and it confused me the first time I watched this because I was like, it, it, it happens almost directly after that scene. So I, I was imagining that Stamets was being ushered in to the mm-hmm. six bay it's in, in this scene. And he isn't. It takes, it takes like three or four more scenes before he gets there. Yeah, it's, it's almost like they're introducing the idea of the Civil War battlefield situation in there only to return to later with him right it's uh you know in a in a jerry bruckheimer movie this would be the uh wheelchair basketball team crossing the street (laughs) and then you know four cuts later is when the actual car chase goes right through the uh, slow motion shot of the united federation of planets flag waving (laughs) in a sunset right uh (laughs) the scene also reveals that uh, there's more than one Mon Calamari living on the disco. We've got the one on the bridge that we've seen a bunch of times, but there's another Admiral Akbar on a gurney in Six Bay. Yeah, he, he's got his big old head dangling off the edge. <laughs> yeah, they got to get a bio bid that fits a Mon Calamari. Yeah, he's not looking comfortable, but no one is. I mean, it's a real it's a real scene where everyone's screaming and there's like buckets of severed limbs and, and you know, these white... Doctor Scrubs are presenting especially horrifically yeah. in this scene too because they are just splattered. They really are. So in the shuttle bay, Michael, Burnham, and Spock put the time crystal battery into the backpack, and then Michael steps into the suit. And uh, it's, it's kind of a like surprisingly 
intimate moment. Like, I don't know if you felt this way, but just the, the kind of like way she reacted to getting into the suit felt like very personal to me. I really liked her reaction in the exact same way. She, the way that she breathed felt like she was getting into a pool of water that was like a little too cold or something. Like, right. I, I totally got that from the scene. Yeah. I thought it was such a surprising choice. Like, it, it was very effective. It like really made this like a momentous element of the episode. It's a much cooler reaction than, you know, Iron Man getting into the Iron Man suit and then like Iron Man flexing or whatever, right. ready for battle. Like, like the shock of this is really effective and humanizing. Well, they have to have been very conscious of the Iron Man comparison when they were conceiving of this stuff because yeah. it's, it's very hard to avoid it, right? Like there's, yeah. there's the same shot with the like reticle superimposed over her eye and the camera is super close up inside the helmet. Uh, yeah. When she's flying it, like there's a lot about this that is very Iron Man, but I th- I think they took it in a sufficiently different direction that it doesn't feel like a knockoff. I agree. Like outside of the outside of the anti comparison to Iron Man, I don't. I wasn't hardly even thinking about it. Ben, Spock and Michael Burnham have a moment to like take a couple of breaths and say goodbye to each other, but in this scene. And in any other scene of them together, he never live long and prospers her. He never says it. Did you want that? He does the hand gesture and they hold their hands up to each other. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. Do you need it? Do you need him to say it? Maybe he uh, said to her, there are no words. And then they cut it because Pike said that in the last episode. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Just an idea. I think in a show that's so interested in... In reminding us of its source material and dropping in all these little treats for people who love original series. And they do it a bunch in this episode. People who have been edging and then want to want to actually bust their nut. Yeah, that's an interesting bit of restraint that they show with that particular line of dialogue. Yeah. They bust out of the, of the ship. Uh, this is the other scene we saw was them scoring her running across the shuttle bay and into space. And this looked like absolute zero. I think that yeah. they, they, there was still green screen in this when uh, when we saw it. But yep. uh, this cocoon of ships around her is the coolest, man. Yeah. This is so exciting. They cross-cut between this scene and Pike several times. And Pike's intensity with which he's ordering the protection of her throughout this scene, I feel like, is great. It's 10 out of 10. Pike sprinkles his dialogue throughout this episode. I don't think he ever gets more than two sentences back to back. Right. But I think they're delivered in a way that uh, that gave me the chills a lot of times. It was very fun. Yeah, I kind of lost her in this cocoon a couple of times. There's so much going on on screen. Yeah. It is a real feast for the senses. That flyby of the Enterprise saucer is really great, too. Like. Yeah an unnecessarily cool thing to be doing i think <laughs> you gotta do it though they gotta go down under radar cover yeah yeah super close to the ground yep so she has to get out to a safe distance right like she can't just start this wormhole wherever because bad guys will get sucked through it and that will be kind of right. contrary to the the mission yeah and the bad news about her departure from the ship is they've had to drop the shields for a moment for her and spock shuttle to leave and Unfortunately, that's created an opening for Contreeland 
to enter the scene. He doesn't quite kill everybody the way he did previously. He, he definitely kills a few people, but uh, nobody with a name. And, uh, <laughs> and then he goes and locks himself in the ready room. Were you expecting shot-for-shot shot repetition between what was seen through the time crystal and what we got? I was a little surprised at how different these scenes played out and, and the reasons for that. Yeah, I was surprised too. I, I think it was a smart uh, element of of that last episode to show us this a couple of times going really badly. Yeah. And then, you know, you feel a little safe when it when he comes in and he only kills a couple of people and then goes and closes a door behind himself, right? Like, right. You're like, oh, like maybe this isn't going as badly as we thought. Um, there's a there's a little dilemma on the entrepreneur because they know that he's beamed over to the, the disco, but Admiral Cornwall and, and Pike talk it over and they're like, there's really nothing we can do because if we drop our shields to beam somebody over and they drop their shields, like disco is done. And that's no good. I love the efficiency of that moment between them. Like, can we do it? No, we can't. Fine. That's it. Like, it's yeah. it's super fast. Yeah. And it appears like on the battlefield, there's a fair amount of deference to Admiral Bob in that moment. Because right. Pike wants to do something. And Bob is like, we can't. So Giorgio and Nan are going to try and get into into the room that Leland is in. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, Michael Burnham and Spock make their way to a uh, drifting platform made out of, I guess, starship scrap uh, that is sufficiently far from the battlefield to uh, to get the wormhole open. But it does not go uh, super well initially. Yeah, it's because she can't get the computer to go forward. It's only backwards. And it's really pissing her off. <laughs> I want to move forward. I have felt this feel, you know, when you're trying to get your computer to do a thing that seems like this is this is not a big ask. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I can't. Like the whole reason you you set up your camera before like the day before going out to a shoot is to like make sure everything works the way you expect it to when you're right. under pressure to make it work. And it is <laughs> It fucking sucks when you go through the pre-flight of your gear before going out on something and then you get there and for no reason at all, things aren't working the way you expect them to. Like that that kind of stress in this moment felt uh, very relatable. Yeah, there, there've been about three sound checks before live shows, I feel like, where we've had this feeling like, all right, we've, we've done this before. Like we have- Yeah, we did it yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and it is like fifteen minutes till doors, and we don't know if video is going to work. Yeah, <laughs> like, that is uh, that is a rough feeling. She's also like straining against this while she watches a torpedo wedge itself into the into the saucer section of the entrepreneur, and that is uh, the second like major plot beat from the from the future vision that she's had that she recognizes and she she realizes that like this is not going well like this is all of the bad stuff she previsaged is happening which doesn't really make a lot of sense if she's in the time suit and able to change something about uh, about their situation what do you make of the scale of this torpedo 
Like, why did Starfleet ever go away from giant photon torpedoes? <laughs> this thing is like 20 times the size of a regular, right? It does seem really big. Maybe if you have a lot of crewmen die at once and you don't want to you don't want to load them individually into <laughs> into torpedoes. Now when you're doing a mass funeral. <laughs> but dozens of your crew people, you're going to want to pile them in to one single super large torpedo. In a battle like this, a pull pot level of death might be expected. <laughs> Therefore, we're loading crewmen into into this torpedo using a 400 horsepower cat earth mover. <laughs> Grainy black and white footage of this will be shown to school children so they can be admonished not to let history repeat itself. Oh man. This sets up like a ticking clock on top of another ticking clock, right? Taking clocks all the way down. Yeah. The deal with this torpedo is it's it's plunged itself into the saucer, and the saucer has a technology that lowers blast doors to make it so that uh, were explosions to occur on the ship, uh, the entire ship wouldn't be lost. But the trouble is, just one of these blast doors won't go down all the way. I read a book that described Bletchley Park in England during World War II, which is where they like developed the first digital computer. And they had all these different buildings that had like huge heavy concrete walls in between them so that if the Germans flew over and let a bunch of bombs go, like the damage of that would be contained. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and it seems like the entrepreneur has that technology built right in. I mean, why don't they build the entire ship out of the blast door material, Ben? That's what I have to ask. Whoa. <laughs> Tip your bartenders, I'll be here all week. <laughs> the two things that they have to deploy against this are cutesy robots that are uh, let out of the hull of the ship and never mentioned again, and Admiral Cornwall, who apparently is also a bomb technician. They look like uh, anime characters. Was this like so that there could be like a... Like a Happy Meal toy associated with Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> Deploy the Happy Meal toys. The sound effect before they're deployed sounds straight out of TOS, though. Yeah. Very old school sound. Maybe this is a TOS thing that we don't know about. I love the TOS phasers yeah. on the Enterprise. Those are great. Those and, are the, cool. and they sound great. Yeah. They do, they, I think they do a really nice job kind of using using nostalgia to kind of tie this into that storyline without being absurd about it. Yeah, without junking it up. There's a lot of people that complain that this, you know, like Discovery looks way higher tech than TOS. It's like, yeah, they made TOS in the 60s, <laughs> you know? <laughs> do you know how badly everything sucked in the 60s? Like... Imagine them releasing a TV show with a budget like this, but just having having everything look shitty the way yeah. it did in TOS. Yeah. I'm sure everyone who's complaining about that in Discovery would love that, right? Yeah. They would not complain at all. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so everything's looking pretty desperate at this point, but uh, but this is when when the cavalry shows up in the form of a Klingon ship that is like 300 times the size of any starship we've ever seen. 
It's called a cleave ship. Yeah, and it's literally cleaving Section 31 ships in in half. It goes through three of them and then kind of stops, which I feel like it should have just kept... They should have just kept their foot on the gas, you know? Yeah, like use the maneuvering thrusters and just sort of spin that thing around. Yeah, hit a couple more. Why not? <laughs> um, I love how it's got like a serrated edge to it. It's like the Nautilus. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's not just the Klingons. It's also uh, Saru's sister and a bunch of other Kelpians in Baul fighters. So <laughs> presumably the Kelpians have made pretty short work of the Baul post the reveal that they had been uh, tricked into subservience. Ben, did you know who Serana was talking about when she said one of your crew hailed us to unify our efforts? They cut to, they cut to Saru and he's like, who the hell was that? And then they don't mention it later. Was that obvious? Oh, I, I it went over my head. Yeah, I don't know who she's talking about. Is it possible it was Ash Tyler? Because he arranged for the Klingons. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. If that he would do both. Yeah. Or was it like Michael Burnham because she has a connection to them? It's strange because, you know, so much was made about their inability to communicate with anyone else yeah. in the fleet that a message was able to get out to both the Klingons and the Kelpians here in a way right. that that was not able to be transmitted to the rest of the Federation. Yeah. I also wondered, like, why it was okay for Ash Tyler to be on the Klingon ship after the reveal of him still being alive was, like, a potentially chancellorship-ending yeah. crisis that Laurel was at great pains to avoid in an earlier episode. Very true. Maybe once you serve on the Cleave ship, you don't get to leave. It's like the House of the Rising Sun. How about the bridge size to ship size ratio on the cleave ship? Smallest bridge, <laughs> biggest ship. 90% of it is empty. It's just a warehouse. It's like a brachiosaurus. It's got a brain the size of a walnut. It's the biggest land animal that ever existed. Hey, how long do you think it takes to clean a Beowulf fighter out to the point where somebody else would want to be inside of it? Yeah, because... Ordinarily, it would just be filled with that brackish liquid, right? Yeah. You wouldn't even need a view screen. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Big job. Cut to the thousands of imprisoned Ba'ul fighters who used to <laughs> occupy these ships, like, in chains. Yeah, and Kelpians just devouring them. Yeah. <laughs> There's a dark timeline playing out uh, next to this one. Disgusting. So Spock kind of does, does the math here. And helps Michael do the math herself that uh, that this is the future. All of the all of the visits from the Red Angel in the past uh, have been have been started from this point. So it's not the future that she should be dialing her uh, her navigation array toward, but the past. And so this starts like kind of a a montage of Michael Burnham traveling back in time and visiting uh, a bunch of previous episodes in the season. Right. Uh, she she initiates a clip show plan. <laughs> but it kind of makes sense, right? Like, you can't continue forward in the timeline without doing all the things that you've done in the past. Like, yeah. like the way that these pieces click together in this moment is, I thought, really well done. Yeah, and it kind of, like, it, it, it smartly 
undoes some of the problems with a time travel episode because like where they come out on the other side of those things is unknown. Yeah. You know, it's, it is not Marty. We got to go back to the future. It's not, we're not going back anywhere. What did you make of the effects surrounding the time travel suit with Michael Burnham? It's, it is some pretty fucking wild shit, man. Yeah, they really linger on it the first time she jumps, and I think for good reason. They got some really spectacular stuff. And I I wondered if uh, some of that stuff where they go, like, super close up on her, they actually, like, sprayed sparks at Sonequa Martin-Green while she was wearing the suit because, like, the reflections on all the surfaces on the suit yeah, just are, like, perfect. Yeah, someone's got an angle grinder 10 yeah. feet away to showering her with sparks. You could see yeah. that. Like some of it is definitely digital particle effects that are added in post, but it seems like some of it might be practical and uh, really seamlessly integrated. This is one of those scenes where both the visual and the sound design come together to make something creepy and scary. It felt very 2001 to me. Yeah. Uh, the fear that she presents early on and then that fear and the way it gives way to to wonder the effect itself i thought was really interesting like the flat like it's so hard to describe if you're not looking at it but like the flat laser panel look to things yeah as it rotates around like that was creepy yeah i liked it yeah like the universe is a flat surface and you can like flip it over and see the other side of it yeah it felt at on the one hand like it calls back to other science fiction that we've seen that we know and love, but it does give it a new a new spin. Yeah. So while she is doing that, Admiral Bob goes down to visit with the torpedo. Uh, clearly, Section Thirty One has been buying its torpedoes from Farmer Hoggett, <laughs> and uh, this one's got like the indicator of how close it is to blowing up, just like right there on the on the panel when she it's, gets it off. It's like in large type for old people to read. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's one, like of one, those, uh, one of those telephones. Yeah. <laughs> the big numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she's going to she's gonna do her best to disarm. And then we cut to a big scene that we have speculated quite a bit about, which is uh, Hugh Culber coming to help Paul Stamets in Six Bay. Yeah, Stamets is pretty fucked up. And uh I don't it looks like he's really seriously injured. He's he's at least seriously injured enough for Culber to put him into a medically induced coma. Right. And uh and I don't think they do that that often on on Star Trek. No. No, um, Stamets is like, get that clip show device out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this season has sucked for me. Anybody <laughs> Um, but as he's kind of slipping under, uh, Dr. Culber gives him some good news, at least from my perspective. I, uh, I believe this is just good bedside manner, and it's Culber giving him hope to You're live. You're not going to get out of this one, Adam. Th- they're not together yet. He's just saying they're going to be. We don't know anything yet. He's saying they're together forever, and they love each other very much, and he stayed on the disco so that he could be, he could be, he said Paul is his home, Adam. There's no more together than that. Hey, guess what? When they cut back to Stamets, he doesn't say anything. Yeah, because he's fucked up. He's on a fucking slab. 
it takes two to agree to a lifetime together on the disco band and we don't have a unified answer i think it's mm. i think we're kicking this bet into season three this is very there's no winner is... it's a draw <laughs> the clock ran out there's no I winner mean, only a loser would make an argument like that you don't think i want to drink ben <laughs> I really, really do. And all I'm saying is that until we see them swapping black toothbrushes together again, uh, I, I don't think we know for sure. Wow. That's what I'm saying. Also, if we, if we could just interrogate the scene a little bit. Oh, you know what I do want to say, though, before we interrogate the scene? If you have an opinion on this, uh, tweet it at somebody other than me and Adam. <laughs> Yeah. But maybe it shouldn't be so simple. I've said this for the entire season. I didn't like how everyone was convincing Culber to get back together with Stamets. And I never felt like anyone's argument was convincing enough to actually change his mind. So it's weird to have seen Culber change his mind, given the totality of these conversations up till now. Like, I wish, I wish we had gotten a scene of him coming to this decision at any point for this to happen like on the battlefield i it rings as less significant to me this feels like florence nightingaling a little bit you know yeah you're a very stubborn man so i i I feel like you're less likely to believe somebody changing their mind than most (laughs) (laughs) just as i am less likely to change my mind about anything yeah yeah very true stubborn all the way around (laughs) Contreeland is not having any luck downloading his precious sphere archive and uh giorgio and uh and nan managed to make it into the room and hit him with a couple of phaser fires and explain to him that it's he is uh he's looking in the wrong room they hit him with a couple of put downs too ben yeah they really hurtful stuff they really dunk on the poor guy (laughs) They kind of keep the the fight going on their way to uh, to engineering, and there's a fucking great fight scene where they have what I imagine is a fully rotatable hallway where where gravity is shifting all around, and uh, and and they're like beating up on each other, like the bulkhead gets blown open at one point and a couple of crewmen get blown out into space. A couple of crewmen that easily could have been us, but unfortunately yeah. we're, we're not. That's true. Could have been us. That that was a that was two crewmen getting blown into space. You know? I feel like at the script stage, uh, there was a set designer that walked in the room and it was like, "Guys, you're not going to believe this. I found the Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling music video set. <laughs> like it was just under a couple of tarps." We can build a hallway in this. We can use this. And then they used it for this fight scene. It's yeah. great. It's, uh, I mean, like, it's as well done as the one in Inception. Yeah, yeah. Giorgio has a line of dialogue that I personally found very hurtful in this scene when she said, not hard is boring. I want to say to her, you can do a lot of other things if something's not hard <laughs> to, to make a scene exciting. Yeah, you can make out, you know, and like... Penetration is is not always the the end goal. Like it's not the be all end all of intimacy. Yeah, I mean, and there are lots of things that can penetrate too. If right. if a certain thing isn't hard, right? Look, all I'm saying is is Georgiou should use a little imagination. It's not the end of the fun. Uh, 
concurrently with this, Tilly has to rewire the shield so that they have some defense before going through the time butthole. And this is really bad timing to not have any shields because Section 31 is shooting giant photon torpedoes around. (laughs) Which makes me think, like, were the Enterprise shields down for this giant torpedo to bury itself into the hull? What was happening there? No. Not really clear on how that works. Yeah. Also, not really clear on why, like, firing a bunch of torpedoes at the disco before and the shields went up meant like game over there's no way we're ever going to be able to destroy the discovery while the sphere archive is on it and now it is like totally shredded and very close to being destroyed exactly in the torpedo room it's kind of decision time though ben like yeah they come to the realization that they are not going to be able to disarm this and someone is going to have to stay behind at this moment it's admiral bob and number one in there working the problem But then number one goes up to the bridge and Pike comes down to have the conversation with Bob. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was kind of a strange order of operations. I wasn't quite sure why they needed number one there if they were just going to swap her out for Pike at some point. Yeah. Um, Like, I feel like this episode could have been like three minutes shorter if they had just not bothered with having number one go down there. Agreed. Especially... Like, if the point of their being together was to create a moment between Number One and Admiral Bob, like, what exactly are they paying off? They never had a relationship up until now anyway. Right. Is it just so that when Number One leaves, Admiral Bob can look at the at the little hatch that she has to open to lower the, the door? I don't know. Because <laughs> if so, like, I could think of 10 other ways we could get her to look at that thing. Yeah, agreed. Interesting moment where where Pike's down there paying off the thing that we've talked about all like for the past couple episodes. Like if a guy knows he's going to die in a certain way, he's got to feel invincible during all the other times. Yeah, and surprising that he didn't push press the issue. Like I yeah. know that this is going to be fine. Admiral Bob seems to have an understanding of his circumstance that she shouldn't. What did you right. make of that? Yeah, like this isn't the end of your story. She seems to know an awful lot about an awful lot of things. Yeah, makes me wonder. I was sad to see her go. Boy, you talk about how often we've seen parade rest in this season. She takes the bomb at parade rest. (laughs) Takes it right on. Yeah. RSVP Admiral Bob. And Pike, like, a foot away from the blast door. That is really a lot of faith in your starship design right there to stand behind that thing. <laughs> he doesn't even back away. He doesn't flinch. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> He's like Bruce Lee. Yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah. God, like, what a brave man. It's like that scene at the beginning of The Rock when the VX gas goes off inside the inside the uh, armory and they slam the door shut and watch the guy die on the other yeah. side. Except for the strong risk is that the VX gas just goes right through the door and gets you on the other side. Right. Just stone-faced as he watches that go down. Big scene. I think you have to take a character off the map during this episode. Yeah. Speaking of getting trapped in boxes, Adam, Giorgio gets down to engineering and Contreland has has solved the puzzle. He says, oh, you're probably keeping the Sphere Archive right in the same spot as you keep all of the information about the spore drive because those are the two most valuable things on the ship. 
I've figured you out. And she says, not so fast. And she roundhouse kicks him into the spork box and <laughs> slams the door behind him. We'll talk about this at the end of the episode when it comes time to review. But you've really got to suspend some disbelief with uh, with Contrelan's strategy here, like as a bad guy. I also feel like they didn't do a very good job of establishing what his capabilities are. Like the T-1000 is an obvious comparison. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in Terminator 2, the movie teaches you all about what the T-1000 can and can't do, what its limitations are, and, you know, it doesn't tell you, like, how to kill it, but the way they kill it in the end stands to reason, given that, you know? Yeah. And we've seen Contrelan get shot a billion times now, but also, like, struggle doing karate with Giorgio. That's the part that fucks me up, Ben. It's like... Contreland should be made of the T-1000 stuff, but he should also fight like Agent Smith. Right. And I don't understand how Emperor Georgiou can be an equal match for him physically. Yeah, because we've seen him like move at inhuman speed across a room to knock somebody over, too. Yeah. So yeah. he does kind of fight like Agent Smith sometimes. Right. But uh, but yeah, like the like the design of him as a villain is a little bit uh, a little bit half-assed, I think. There's a childlike glow that Giorgio has in watching Contreland die that is very enjoyable to see. Like, she's watched thousands of people in agony booths before, but no agony has been more satisfying to her than this one, probably. Yeah. A custom-made agonizer booth for the bad guy. Yeah. This is like as uh, Burnham is headed toward the wormhole, and uh, when he when he perishes, all of the, you know, it's like chopping off the head of the of the top vampire or whatever. That's how you kill. No, that's not how you kill vampires. <laughs> I don't know, but it's like a you know you take out the the one at the top, and they all and they all stop. There's a moment of pause here that feels a lot like the second best of both worlds episode. Like everything stops. Right. Like the swarm has been chasing Discovery to the black hole that Michael Burnham has set up, and then that stops too. Like it, it quits giving chase. Yeah. Right before she makes that, uh, that wormhole, she gives Spock one last piece of advice. She says, meet somebody named James Kirk and become best friends with him. Okay, bye-bye. It's a sad moment because Spock can't go with them. Spock's shuttle's damaged. Yeah. So he's got to stay behind, which is why they've got to do these goodbyes. Again, yeah. no live long and prosper. We get the uh we get the round the horn of everybody watching watching her leave though. Yeah. Little uh little clip show elements kind of peppered in as this happens. You know, we see uh we see Ash watch her go and uh remember laying a kiss on her. It feels like uh, watching a plane take off with a loved one on board, right? Everyone's getting that moment to see her leave. Yeah, Serana uh, remembering a, a tender moment with Saru. Mm-hmm. It does really feel like the end of an era, and that's like a surprising thing to have earned in two seasons of television. <laughs> Agreed. As the Discovery goes through the wormhole, it is like, Star Trek four level special effects as they all just like have their minds blown by the singularity. Yeah, there's that streak effect happening in yeah. transit. 
that's uh there may be a callback of its own you're right like whenever we see uh original series movie time travel it looks kind of like this huh yeah and then uh and then the wormhole winks shut and we see the entrepreneur with a big bite taken out of the saucer section fly off into the wild blue yonder the button on the episode is is a future scene and it's not on the other side of the wormhole it's on this side of the wormhole it's at uh yeah. it's at starfleet hq in san francisco uh it is following the action of the cover-up how that took place ash tyler is uh given full commission as a commander in section 31 they're like you know we didn't want to do this but literally everybody else in section 31 is dead so you're kind of it yeah and this is after pike blames section 31 for what happened out there and everyone is in lockstep on the story disco was destroyed they got their story straight the yeah. disco explode and spock makes the case that the history of the disco is going to have to be covered up entirely because the time travel stuff that it encountered and that it was investigating uh is is basically too hot for tv like the just the knowledge of it having happened could engender something like it happening again right under under penalty of treason one cannot mention anything having to do with these events it's I mean, maybe the most fantastic of all sci-fi futures is the idea that anyone would be afraid of treason. <laughs> but here we are. As, as, a, as a charge with teeth. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh. <laughs> but, uh, like, I think it was Pike asks, like, are you going to destroy Control? Or maybe it was Spock and the guy who we don't see. Yeah, Ad- Admiral Backofhead. <laughs> yeah. Admiral Bald says, uh, we've destroyed control. It's no longer a thing. You got nothing to worry about. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like this, this does all of the work of kind of making the retcons of discovery work within the, within the continuity of the rest of Star Trek. Like why would Spock never have mentioned that he has a sister? It's a state secret. It's perfect math the equation has no remainders like it, it's clean the whole thing's clean yeah one thing that's undone though because we're 124 days since the departure of michael burnham and gang is like michael promised spock that she would drop a signal to let him know that they've made it and so many days have passed that there's some real concern over whether or not they had yeah what's fucked up ben is that spock has a scene where he talks about how awful it would be for anyone to talk about these events and then immediately goes into recording a personal log <laughs> where he describes everything in great detail. Yeah, maybe he's like writing a letter that he's never going to send, you know? Ben, like in the, the first couple episodes of this season, they cracked Spock's personal logs in order to like figure out that he was onto these seven signals and the Red Angel and stuff. Like, he knows his shit has been hacked before. <laughs> it's fucked up. Well, maybe he's like me and he doesn't learn from his mistakes. <laughs> it's nothing that a shave and a clothes change can't fix, Ben. Boy, that is a fun reveal, right? A strong chin. Jesus. What a handsome motherfucker. Ethan Peck uh, like, has all the advantages of being Hollywood royalty, and he's also incredibly good looking. Good job, Ethan Peck. Piece of shit. <laughs> Super kissable lips. 
Yeah, just just cool enough that you want to you just want to be with someone like that. Just hang out with them. No, that's it, right? Like they go, they're gonna yep. go like check out some moon somewhere. Who gives a shit? Well, Spock arrives to the bridge uh, right at the moment where they detect the seventh signal. So so they all recognize this. Yeah. Uh, they've made it safely to the other side. When they warp off, they're saying they're going to check out this new moon that's been discovered, but they're warping in the direction of a red dot in space. Yeah. Were you confused by that? Well, it would be weird if they were doing that because like, the strategy that Michael articulated was that she was going to drop a red signal off behind her when she got to the other side, once the hole closed. So right. it's not like she's going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess they know. don't go right toward the red dot, but I don't know. Yeah. It's way far out there, though. It's like 50 light years out there or whatever. I don't think that's where they're going. I think 50,000, it says. It's in another quadrant. Oh, man. That's a hike. They're, they're going to have to pack a lunch for that. Did you like the episode, Adam? This was like so breathlessly paced by the time we get to the button i was almost just disoriented by it i really love the episode i thought all the space battle stuff really worked for me though that might have been by virtue of the resolution boost i was getting i loved all the effects surrounding the black hole i loved how weird they got there like visually i thought that was well done the thing that didn't work for me was the stuff surrounding Contreeland. And I think this just boils down to how you sketch out a bad guy and his strategy. Like there's something about his strategy that's, that was always ever going to fail because he always ever did just enough to be fearsome, but never enough to be overwhelmingly fearsome. Like here's the thing, Ben, and you and I know this, uh, he's a really dumb computer because he never had a backup. One equals none and two equals one. And there should have been two or three or a thousand Contrelands on all right. of those Section 31 ships. And his plan was flawed from the get-go for that reason. Like, I, I hate that you're able to just pinprick the balloon of Contreland's entire plan and blow it up. But there it is. Like, it was flawed and dumb. But if you can just set that off to the side and recognize like the truckloads of money they dropped on this episode. (laughs) The idea that they spent movie amounts of effects budget and effects people towards making this on a television show schedule. It is a miracle that they could do this. I, I thought it was beautiful and amazing and I'm, I'm so excited right now. I almost don't have time to be sad about there being so much time between now and season three, but I'm excited for season three, and I thought season two was super fun. It had some flaws, but I liked it a lot. What about you, Ben? I liked it too. Um, I liked the season. Agree with everything you said about, uh, you know, and I, I think that they could have, like, like the two the two problems with Contreeland, one that he could he didn't just send the sphere archive back in time from the future and that he didn't have multiple copies of himself i feel like they could have just done something to like i think that dialogue could have solved for that right you know? ai is too fragile to instantiate more than a couple of times and he like burned one of them on uh on comran and therefore it's like that's it you know 
something about two pieces of AI being in conflict, not being able to exist at once. Like, yeah, I, I would. You're right. It's totally solvable, and it's solvable in such a way that you don't need to add extra time to a fat episode. Right. Um, but overall, I, I thought it was a great episode and uh, and a very strong season, and I'm looking forward to the rewatch. Yeah, you and me both. We always pick up a lot during that binge watch. Yeah, uh, I feel like uh, like last season. This one is is really going to reward that you know the the watching Fight Club a second time effect. Right. Now that now that you know what the solution to the puzzle is, like it it means something else. We're going to see like ten dicks in between real changes <laughs> that we didn't notice before. We had a bunch of predictions uh, at the end of the last episode, Adam, and I thought uh, we could go through what we predicted and uh, and publicly shame ourselves for the things we got wrong and oh, yeah. celebrate the things we got right. Uh, did you write them down? Because I would just be doing this from the top of my head. I jotted some notes. Okay. I, I don't think I wrote all of them down. But, uh, You're so such I, a good student. I made the prediction that they would imply but not state that Contreland would become the Borgs. And I was wrong. I agreed with you. I was I, wrong too. I predicted that Stamets and Culber would get back together, and I was right. Yet to be seen, but looking pretty good. I win. <laughs> uh, I predicted that Michael would reject Ash Tyler. This is kind of a glancing wrong, where my prediction was that they would not be together next season. It wouldn't like that. They seem to be drifting closer and closer to each mm-hmm. other this season, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't be together next season because they're going to be in different timelines. Yeah. And I predicted that there would be the tease of who is going to be captain next season. And I'm guessing that that's going to be Saru, but it wasn't, there was no, they didn't, they didn't do the implication. Yeah. We never saw on the other side. Yeah. So we'll have to twist in the wind on that, but basically all four of my predictions were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I think you got quite a few of them. Uh, you predicted that Saru was going to stab Contreland with his uh, with his ceremonial knife. Ah, oh, I wish that had happened. That Damn been it! Nice. And you predicted that the next season is going to be is going to take place in the future, which I think is heavily implied here. It's not only implied; it's been guaranteed by Alex Kurtzman. Alex Kurtzman said uh, in an interview that season three is set. Uh, almost 900 years in the future. So this makes me wonder, because in Calypso, they talked about the Discovery having been empty for a 1,000 years. Mm-hmm. So is Calypso set 2,000 years in the future? I don't know. I mean, I think that's going to be part of the rewatch and uh, and us doing the math of that all over again. Yeah. Well, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages? Yeah, let's do that, Ben. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is of a promotional nature. It goes like this. On a science vessel like the Disco, where are the speech-language pathologists, SLPs? Put an SLP on the crew and you would, one, have given May a turn in the conversation long before the goo took over Tilly. Two, Hugh in the Mirror Universe lore by episode two because of his social language difficulties. And three, map out all the speech errors common in the Klingon language now that there's so much loaf to talk through. 
Given SLP some pips, we'd keep the Federation safer one conversation at a time. May is Better Hearing and Speech Month. For more inf- information, visit polarspeech.com, a proud member of the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Wow. Whoa. Cool. We have a priority one message of a personal nature, and it is from Captain Jeff. It is for Adam and Ben, and the message goes like this. Perfect podcast by Lieutenant Reed. Just a perfect podcast. Listen in the park, and when it gets dark, I hear more. Oh, it's such a perfect podcast. I'm glad I listened to you. (laughs) Such a perfect podcast. You just keep me downloading. You just keep me downloading. Just... A perfect podcast. You made me forget myself. I thought I was someone else. Someone Shimoda. Those wow. read like lyrics to me to a song yeah. that I don't recognize. <laughs> Captain Jeff, uh, I wish you had given me some indication about uh, what beat I should have tried to match there. Hopefully I did what you were trying to go for justice. I don't know the Lou Reed catalog, so... <laughs> Oh shit! That is a Lou Reed thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound real dumb. <laughs> you know what? But we're gonna keep it. We're gonna keep it because that's just being real. Captain yeah. Jeff, cooler than I am, dropping <laughs> dropping Lou Reed lyrics on me that I didn't recognize until it was too late. Wow. Yeah, there you have it. Well, if you've got a priority one message of a commercial or personal nature, or a song lyric nature, even, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where commercial messages are $200 and personal messages are $100, both of which go a long way in supporting The Greatest Discovery. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from... What am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals? And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements 
I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did. Um, you know that meme where the like guy and his girlfriend are walking down the street and the guy is <laughs> leering back at a beautiful woman that they just walked past? <laughs> That's my favorite one. The look on Laurel's face when Ash Tyler is watching the Discovery <laughs> go through the wormhole and, uh, and he remembers a time he kissed Michael Burnham is, uh, is the look on the, on the legitimately angry girlfriend's face in that meme. Someone needs to memeify that moment. <laughs> it really made me laugh. Wow. Yeah. Uh, did you have a drink, Shimoda? Here's the thing, Ben. Like, in that scene, what's Ash Tyler supposed to do? Like, if he doesn't look, that's weird. Yeah. He's got to stand there and look. He, they both need to watch it go in. That's the problem. Yeah. There's only right. one thing to do. Uh, my Shimoda is going to be a lot and that is everyone who returned to the disco after evacuating to the <laughs> Enterprise. Yeah, they didn't show the revacuating scene. Because these poor people got on board, and I've got to believe they were told what the mission was. If they weren't, it is super fucked up. It is so fucked up. <laughs> so we have to assume a couple of things, that they were told, and also... Uh, my Shimoda from the last episode uh, brought his plant back, I'm sure. I want to know if that uh, bird of paradise made it back on board. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm multiplying the Shimoda from last episode and turning it into the entire crew complement of the disco. Fun. What are we going to do for the next episode, Ben? We're going to come back in two weeks with a big uh, rewatch recap app, right? We're going to take one week off. We're gonna come back in two weeks with our uh, with our. We just rewatched the entire fourteen episodes, but I just don't think we have time to 
watch all 14 in between now and next week. Yeah, and because we're off season, that's going to be the schedule, right? Once every two weeks. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it seems like there's so much Trek coming up that that might like, we might not be every other week for as long uh, as as we were last off season. But right. uh, hard to know. Uh, I I know there's a there's a new Star Trek Discovery annual comic book oh. out that we can read. We've got some other ideas too for what to do in the off season. So uh, so so stick with us. Yeah, lots to do. Lots to say, lots to cover as the off-season turns into another on-season for your boys at Greatest Discovery. This podcast ain't over. It's just getting started. Hey, uh, I wanted to take a moment to thank a couple of people before Rob comes in with the credits. I think the first person to thank would be Rob himself. Uh, Rob Schulte produces this show, sometimes over an incredible amount of stress given when we're able to record these episodes sometimes and uh, when they have to come out. Uh, He's just put in a huge effort in making this show possible, and I want to make sure that he's recognized for those efforts. Thank you, Rob. You're the best. I also want to thank our pal Richard, who got us into the recording session uh, on the studio lot for, uh, for this final episode. It was as we said before, a really special experience for both me and Ben. And uh, he's just a great, great dude for doing that. So thanks, Richard. Yeah, that was a, that was a total thrill and uh, something that I've been curious about seeing with my own eyes since I was a kid. Uh, and thanks to you all for supporting The Greatest Discovery during the pledge drive this year. It means we'll be able to keep making Star Trek and Star Trek adjacent shows in this feed long into the future and your support means a ton to us uh thanks for letting us know that you enjoy what we do here yeah thank you um and uh we'll throw it to rob's from here see you in a couple weeks thanks for listening to another season of the greatest discovery we'll see you in two weeks after ben and adam rewatch all of season two The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast. It's hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusea. Head on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the ongoing production of this show. It's the only way that we get to keep it year-round. Thanks again. If you're using social media, we like to use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery when tweeting and posting about this show. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is at Cut for Time. I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.